Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. All right, Patrick, we're back, man. Another Hanu Health Q&A. It has been, since the last time we had a podcast, so much has been going on. Like, it's been incredible. I know you've been busy, obviously, here at Hanu. We've been really busy launching our pre-orders, man. I I don't even know. My head's been, like, spinning for the last, like, two weeks. Because, as you know, when you launch something in a company, um, and then you're trying to market it, and then you're trying to get things out there, especially when people didn't know what we were building until the last, you know, two weeks. And we said, hey, here it is. You ready to pre-order? order. It's just been bizarre. So has your head been spending as much as mine here in the last two weeks? <laughs> it's kind of a strange time, Jay. You know, it's it's wonderful in many ways to see evolution. You know, there's always an in, kind of a, a natural inclination that you want to develop your business and expand it. And you want to grow it and reach its full potential. And right. that's super and positive. But with that, then you've got the the roller coaster, you know, and there's a little bit of a buzz about it. I think for creative people, when they when the product is finished and they look back at it and there's a sense of achievement there, it's really, really nice. But mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, you, we think that, okay, we're going to, you're developing a device or you go to write a book. You have the book written, but then the hard mm-hmm. work starts because you need to get the book into the bookstores. You need to get the distribution channels and you have all of that as well to manage so yeah it's so it's cool. uh it's amazing how things fall into place but well done um we're yeah, really really you. looking forward to uh hanu health it's, it's yeah going to be, i think it's going to be a game changer it's going to be great yeah, I, I really I, I truly appreciate that and we think so too i mean obviously i'm biased um uh but you know it's one of those things that we had this idea conceptually of what we wanted to do. And we said, if we can execute it well, we really think this is going to be something that people latch onto and you know, that it's made for everybody. And the, the people that are into breath work and into oxygen advantage and the people who are into HRV, like they're going to geek out about this stuff. They're going to love all of the data and all of the information. But also for us, we're like the individual who has no idea about breath work. They've never heard that word before. They've never heard of HRV. They're just like, I need to know, like, and like, what do I do about stress? Am I stressed? What's causing me stress? And then what do I do about it? This is such a gentle way, in a sense, of providing them with just valuable information and tools to really help to tap into their nervous system response. And I think it's a great introduction to things like breath work and oxygen advantage, because if they've never heard of it before, one of the things that I think that people are going to see with this device and with this app is that they're going to start off by saying, like, I just want the basics. But then when you start to see, oh, this is effective, this is working for me, then you dig a little bit more in and you dig a little bit more in. And the next thing you know, like you are fully on board, you're taking your bolt score, you're practicing, you know, oxygen advantage training, you're practicing all of these breath work techniques and biofeedback, and and you're in the game. And I think that that's how a lot of people come to this, right, is that Mm. they're interested in like, how can I solve this difficulty or this problem that I'm having? Or how can I optimize their health and well being? And, you know, we always, well, some people, they'll, you know, dip their feet in the water and they're like, oh, I kind of like that. That feels good. And the next thing they know, like, they're like, all right, I'm all in. Or if you're kind of like me, I'm one person who's like, nah, I'm an immersive journalist. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to jump in there and do it. And, you know, th- some things stick and some things don't. But it's been really well received. And, you know, I appreciate all the advice and feedback you've given. And I think, again, like from kind of your following and the following of Hanu, which is kind of like becoming a bit enmeshed, which is really nice. Like, I think it's just going to provide a lot of inherent value. Oh, I think it's super. At some point, what we should be doing is kind of going through the intricacies of during sleep and during the day and during mm-hmm. physical exercise. Mm-hmm. And so for the normal person who is kind of like myself that doesn't know very much about technology, which I'm the first to admit, nah. 
Um, do you wear it during sleep? Does it give you feedback when you wake up in the morning? Do you wear yeah, it during the day, yeah. during physical exercise? What would you see for the average dummy like myself? What to do with it? <laughs> That's a great question. So we at the onset of our company, we said one of the things that we really wanted to do was to make this so easy that our grandparents could use it. Um, and so, you know, my 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 grandparents are very elderly at this time. Um, and I think that if I showed them at least like the device and the app and said, this is all you need to do, well, you know, one or two things that they could use this. However, there's a lot of technicality and specificity in what we've built. Um, one of the things that we wanted to answer, uh, which we thought was a huge gap, a huge question in the market, was how can we create a wearable device and an app integration that helps to solve this problem of both monitoring and then training better resiliency to stress? Because right now we have a lot of great trackers that are looking at sleep. We have a lot of great trackers that are looking at things like overall activity level. And these are great. They're informative. But for the most part, a lot of them just provide data. They provide information. And a lot of them don't really address the stress component or the breath work component. And that was huge for us is how can we marry those two things? And I have to be honest, like I made this and the co-founders of this company, we made this to scratch our own itch. I mean, I think that's how a lot of great companies start, right? We're like, there is a gap in the market, but for anything, like I want it for me. Like I want this thing. And so this device differentiates itself in that it is stress focused and it is breath work focused. Number two is that most of the wearables only really are tracking accurate data and providing you information when you're wearing it at night. Throughout the day, they're not giving you a lot of great information. And so some of them, and I'm not going to call it any companies because by, by no means I'm, I'm here to bash any other wearable companies. I still wear a lot of other wearables as I'm testing out our wearable. And the thing that is, is that during the day, like I don't really have a need to wear it. Whereas ours is really meant for the day. Can you wear it during sleep? Yes. Like it's actually going to give you the most accurate snapshot of heart rate variability and heart rate and kind of all the other things that we built into it during the nighttime. But it's really meant as like a stress, like coach and a stress radar, like for you throughout your day. So when you're continuously yeah. wearing it, it's monitoring your stress response. And at the moment it finds you falling out of your range where your adaptability and resiliency to stress is lowered, then boom, it kickstarts a breathwork practice for you. It alerts you, it vibrates on you and says, all right, if you are ready right now in the moment, like we can train a good resilient response to this. So it gives you that in the moment feedback, that real time level of training. But then also too, when you're ready to say, okay, now I've got my 10, five, 10, 15 minutes. Hey, maybe you're crazy and you're doing 30 minutes to an hour of training. Now we have this slew of practices and breathwork practices that people can engage in. And the great thing about it is, is that they can engage in these breathwork practices, but then also just kind of monitor and see what's happening to their physiology. Because when we know if people see that change in their data, then it's going to reinforce behavior because then they're saying that it's not just, oh, subjectively, I feel good, which is great. I think that's actually the most important thing is subjectively, I feel relaxed. I feel in a better mindset. I feel more focused or more energized or whatever you're doing or your aim is. But then they also can say, oh man, look at what it did to my heart rate variability. Look at what it did to my heart rate. Look at my change over time. Seeing those trends and identifying those things, it, 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 it conditions our brain to say, I want more. It gives us that dopamine release that says it is time for me to jump back into training. So sorry to get into that long winded, I would say soliloquy. <laughs> However, I just wanted to, for people to understand, like this is an absolute like game changer in terms of it being a stress radar throughout your day, kind of monitoring and watching aspects of your stress response in a very granular way, providing you feedback. But then we always close the loop by saying, we're giving you an alert and information, but now let's actually like engage in a means of self-regulation, which is indeed breathwork training, biofeedback. Yeah, I appreciate and it's, it. It's a great <laughs> idea because even when the emphasis is on increasing heart rate variability, in terms of breathing exercises, most of the breathing exercises deployed are breathe between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute. But they're not necessarily taking into consideration nasal breathing. They're not taking mm -hmm. into consideration nose breathing during sleep. Mm -hmm. um, yes. They're taking into consideration slow breathing, but not necessarily low breathing. 
mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. the biochemistry of breathing. So it's it's almost that, and I think this is the mistake that's often made, you know, that breathing itself is too complex and it's multidimensional and it just doesn't make sense just to focus on one dimension. And, you know, it's it's um, for to be able to be to elicit that because a person might be using it, as you say, to, to track their HRV. They have the tools then to improve it. But it goes beyond that. Like, Jay, I remember oh, yeah. when I came across breathing 25 years ago, I started breathing less air for a few minutes and I improved the temperature of my fingers. You know, there's a realization there that if you do a breathing exercise that's really suitable for you, that you can feel tangible benefits pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, for and sure. People coming in with a stuffy nose, they don't just have a stuffy nose. It's very uncomfortable. It right. messes up with sleep. And even if you were, you know, partners, so for example, one partner has a totally stuffed up nose, and if they want to have a good kiss, it's not even possible because it's going to be so uncomfortable. You know, it's like we we as as partners and social beings, our nose is very, very important, and all of that mm. data... And here was an interesting study that came out during the week. But I tell you about it. It says that attractive faces got less COVID. Now, can you imagine that a study would come out saying that more attractive people were 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 had greater immunity to COVID than, than less attractive? Now, what we have did to did Americans think about this, author this? <laughs> I'll I'll send you the study at the end of it. I was looking at it last <laughs> right. night. Um, that's super I, yeah. like you just mentioning that is is, is so funny because I feel like if we put that up on the screen here in our public like television in America like people would go absolute nuts they'd be like are you kidding me attractive people how did you quantify this everybody would be like yeah I would definitely be in the attractive group not the uh, unattractive but group <laughs> it, it goes a little bit deeper though because of course, if the face is developed the way it should have developed it's it naturally stands that it's going to be attractive and yeah it's coming back to to everything that the individual with the better face is likely to have a better airway. They're likely to have better sleep. Mm-hmm. They're less stuck in that sympathetic mode because when I spoke with people who were who had the effects of long COVID and who were trying to recover, very often these individuals were physically fit, but they were increased sympathetic drive all the time. They mm-hmm. were nonstop, and it, it you have to ask the question. Was it that they were pushing their body so hard that when COVID struck, their body wasn't able to deal with it as well mm-hmm. because the resilience had lower? So, yeah. yeah, I think there's, I don't think it's just about the aesthetics here. I think it's about the function as well. And it's about yes. the development of the face, of course, in airways. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating study. Yeah, send that one to me when we're done with the podcast recording, because I uh, I'm just really curious to read it, and I'll probably end up posting uh, that one on social media because I'll be like, this is one you have to have to check out. So yeah, in- interesting. Well, you know, kind of back to you know what you were mentioning about m- ensuring this whole idea of of nasal breathing and kind of how that relates, especially to like what we've built at Hanu, is that we kind of really see this platform, especially what we do. in in the work with you and having you on this podcast is really educating people that, you know, data is great information, but also to what we're doing throughout the day as a behavioral practice, what we're really conditioning as a behavioral practice to be habitual, a part of our nature is arguably the most important thing. And what I love about it, and I know I sound always like a broken record when I say this, but like I'm an HRV and I'm a data nerd and I love that aspect, but I really see HRV and data as just a means of kind of checking in. It's a proxy, but really the hard work and the, or uh, I'll say hard work in quotes, but the work that we really should be putting in is focusing on our breathing and focusing on how that is being a direct link and a direct control to our stress response and to our nervous system all throughout the day. Because if we can nail that one on the head, then that's truly the game changer, right? The game changer isn't that we're just providing like this valuable information and data on heart rate and heart rate variability in a stress resiliency score like that's great like i i like that that's super informative that's fun we can gamify that even but the real solution to our problem um, that we're having to stress is the intervention side it's the self-regulation side it's making those habitual changes to nasal breathing and not being mouth breathers it's making sure that we're being conscientious about the pace of our breathing throughout the day especially when we're noticing ourselves being more stressed all of these are 
such incredibly important components. And I'm going to beat this drum until, you know, we, the company either is no more or I am no more in the sense that like the data part is really fun and it's really valuable and it can be really great in helping to condition behavior. But the true game changer here are the therapeutics and the therapeutics are us linking ourselves back to who we were meant to be, which are people that are nasal breathing. We are breathing low. We're not breathing thoracically and clavically and being so stressed out because that's the signal that our brain and our heart and our lungs are getting. And if we can do that, then that's the game changing component. That's it. Would you expect that people who, for, for about 20 years, I was living very much in my head. And we've spoken about this in terms of education, teaching us how to think and to be very analytical, but it doesn't give us yeah. the tools to be able to step out of the mind. If you were to, say, select a group of individuals, and I'm just putting it out there because I don't necessarily know the answer, individuals who are very much caught up in their minds and with their attention towards the front part of the brain, that they're always ruminating in thought, and they don't necessarily have that good connection with the rest of the body. In other words, mm-hmm. spiritually, they would be seen as being asleep And really, for us to connect with life, in the broader sense of life, we need to be awake. We need to have our attention moving simultaneously with time. We need to have present moment awareness and also to have some connection with the body. Mm -hmm. So some individuals who are very analytical and very much caught in the mind, where would you see their HRV being in terms of an individual who is more centered, irrespective of their breath work? Now, you would yes. kind of expect, though, the person who is overthinking that because they're in that stress response that their breathing is going to be impacted and vice versa because there's going to be that feedback loop there. But aside from breath work, the person who's stuck in their head, where would you expect it to be? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question because a lot of the times we kind of get caught up, um, especially in the scientific world, we get caught up with the pathway that goes from physiology to cognition. So kind of like uh, experiencing something in our body and how that then relates to thinking, how that then relates to psychological functioning. But the biggest component to remember here is that this is a bi-directional interconnected two-way street, right? So yes, obviously, like what is being experienced in our body is going to affect cognition. It's going to affect psychology. It can result in anxiety. It can result in, in stress. It can result in panic. It can result in all of those. But also too, the vice versa is very true. So somebody that is caught up in rumination, someone who's significantly anxious, they're significantly stressed due to life experience, and maybe aren't super in tuned with their physiology, us ruminating and thinking about things, us uh, being caught up in more of the anxiety that's up here, the psychological anxiety, it directly feeds into our physiology and we see physiological change. So we know from so many studies that they've looked at when they've studied the effects of HRV biofeedback and they've looked at people who have started um, cognitive behavioral therapy, these individuals who are super anxious and caught up in here and are not very mindfully aware of what's going on in their body, they're not practicing like a mindfulness-based skill, they're not practicing breath work is we know that purely from kind of this heady nature, this ruminative nature, these individuals have lower HRV. These people have higher heart rates. These people have higher cortisol output. These people have low DHEA. Like all of these physiological components are dysregulated or can be at least I should say when these individuals are stuck in rumination. And so that we see that there, this pathway is, is goes both ways and it's kind of hard to know kind of which one came first, the chicken or the egg here. However, we do know when we isolate the variable of physiological awareness and that one-way street, sorry, that, that, that road, then we see that the road that leads from cognition to physiology, including using HRV as a proxy, that there's a direct relationship there. So I see this all the time, like when I was uh, doing a lot of clinical biofeedback and we'd look at people's baseline readings of their physiology and we would take kind of an entire profile of their physiology. Um, It would be things like heart rate variability, skin conductance, which is like skin sweating. We'd look at things like temperature. We'd look at EMG or muscular contraction. So we'd actually 
actually place electrodes on the back of their neck or uh, on their traps or on their shoulders. And we'd see how much tension are they just naturally at baseline holding. And then we'd look at brainwave states as well, like EEG functioning. And these individuals who would come in reporting significant anxiety, significant stress, trauma, panic, like we'd see that their numbers were so significantly different in terms of their physiology markers. And oh, I can't even believe I didn't mention this one, respiration. So we'd look at kind of their overall um, uh, mechanics of breathing, but also pace of breathing at baseline. And everything was significantly dysregulated. And one of the things that was so interesting is we would present that data to people and they would say, oh man, I just thought it was kind of like up here. I didn't realize it was manifesting this way. And for a lot of these individuals, it wasn't until they saw it like on screen that they were like, it was the light bulb. It was like, uh-oh, this has been doing some damage. Like it's not just like the psychological component that's really being effective, but man, I can see how this is really manifesting in tense muscles. Maybe that's why I have headaches all day long, every single day. Uh, they were like, oh man, I can see like I've been sweating. Like I sweat all the time. So, you know, that makes sense that that goes up during a stress response. It's just like the light bulb goes off. So that's my long winded way of saying like, this is a bi-directional road, but we know that even when we eliminate, or I would say that we uh, try our best to remove the variable of physiology alone and that connection between cognition, when we just look at psychological well-being, we just look at psychological functioning and cognitive functioning, we know that those individuals who are very ruminative, those are who are in their head, those who kind of um, allow anxiety and allows kind of maybe not the right word to use, but I'm going to place that in there, that they, um, they, they, uh, yeah, I kind of have a hard time using that word. So I'm just going to use it for now anyway. But those who are stuck in their heads, we see that inevitably they have lower HRV, higher heart rate, and then a lot of other psychophysiological markers that stand out that are different from the quote unquote normative population. It's it's amazing though, but it ties in. There's a study that was conducted by a Harvard professor. I think his name is Matthew Killingworth in tandem with Daniel Gilbert. Now I might have mixed their names up. But mm-hmm. it was via an app called trackyourhappiness.org. And they surveyed, I think, 5,000 individuals and they logged 250,000 data points. Mm. And they asked people the question, are you doing one task, but are you thinking about something else? In other words, where is your attention when you're doing this task? And you can imagine people doing very simple tasks. Traditionally, it's often saying use washing the dishes. But say somebody brushing their teeth. You're, you're brushing your teeth and it's, a, it's a, an action that you're doing all the time that you're not necessarily going to pay, place much attention on that because you're stuck in your head. But they found that the human mind wanders a lot, but those minds that wandered the most were least happy. So this is tying in with not just about the physiology and the psychology in a theoretical sense, but our experience in life in general, Mm -hmm. that if we spend a lot of time stuck in our head, and if we are not attentive to what we are doing, what it's really affecting is getting down to the the basics here is that our happiness is impacted. But it kind of makes sense because if you have somebody coming in and they're so caught up in their mind, they're not able to deal with situations very well. Like I don't know if you've ever been a dishwasher in a busy restaurant, it's an interesting one. I was a dishwasher when I was there. I did Erasmus in Upsa- at Uppsala University in Sweden. This is going back, God, 1995. And it was an expensive place to live. So for some part-time work, I was working in O'Connor's restaurant in, uh, in Uppsala. And it was an Irish bar. So, of course, as an Irish man, you go to the first Irish bar looking for work. So anyway, they put me into the kitchen. And the dishwasher is in a great situation to see what's going on behind the scenes. And I could mm-hmm. always think of two chefs that come in. One chef would come in and he was so focused on what he was doing. He was able to stay apace. He got the, the meals out on time. The waitresses were happy. Everything worked. They got good tips. And then the second chef would come in. And the second chef had the same training as the first, was about the same age. They were both two men. They were both early 30s. But the second chef, everything would fall asunder. And I remember mm. just thinking about it because... When we go through a training school, Jay, we're all gave the same training. You know, if we go through a university degree, whatever we do academically, whatever training we do, the training is kind of standardized, gave to everybody. 
But yet, here's two. Here's a situation of two chefs with the same training, but mm-hmm. totally different results. And both chefs might have scored academically the same, but yet their output is so much different. The second That's chef didn't have the attention, and the second chef being so caught up in the mind that productivity was impacting because. Again, it's like our everyday, you know, if you're in such a rush to get to the future, you're not going to have your attention on the present. But it was only afterwards that you're looking back and you're thinking, some people naturally have this. And I suppose it's Mm -hmm. the same, the physiology, the psychology, that they are naturally in tune. And maybe Mm -hmm. this is going back to even when we're born, because apparently the HRV of the baby is determined by the HRV of the mom. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you have a mom and she has a lot of stress and anxiety during pregnancy, or maybe she has obstructive sleep apnea, this in turn is going to determine the HRV of the baby. But mm-hmm. the one thing about HRV, it's trainable. Mm-hmm. And also for mm-hmm. that second chef, I would have been that second chef. <laughs> I'm sure there's many listeners who, yes. who may even be thinking today, well, I'm that second chef today. You know, and it's it's really the application, like, I really do feel that our education, this is the, the future of education is not just about teaching people how to think, but mm-hmm. it's about teaching people how to change their physiology, how to change sure. their states, how to deal with stress. Because I would say that these things are even more important for success than the 16 and 20 years that we spend in formal education. Like, I went into school as a youngster at four years of age. I came out when I was 21. I was 17 years in academic education. And I have to say, I learned more in two weeks focusing on the breath because it gave me a little bit of an insight into my own physiology (laughs) than I learned from the 17 years. You know, it really is something that... And there seems to be a movement happening now, isn't there? There's a huge kind of direction towards, um, and I also feel with what's going on in the world at the moment, and I didn't necessarily want to bring in the invasion of Russia mm. with the Ukraine, mm-hmm. but something like that is happening. It is synonymous with the madness of the human mind. And mm-hmm. in a collective, I think really it starts with us as individuals. And also I would say it, when you hear us something like that going on, that has a huge impact. It's having a huge impact on, on individuals throughout the world. Mm-hmm. It's very important that when you experience the sadness of what's going on, also bring your attention into your breathing and mm-hmm. not to surrender to the madness of one individual. Yes. And really, in terms of a collective and in changing the collective consciousness, it has to start with one person. And that's with ourself. Well said. Yeah, well said. You know, it's, it's it's insane, crazy, tough, sullen times that we're in. It's like, you know, when we, we feel like we're getting over one thing with the pandemic and then we've got the next. Um, and, you know, that's probably a little bit more intense than, you know, what we've most of us have experienced in our lifetime. But it's it's kind of a part of history. Right. And it continues to repeat itself that we're met with one trauma and then we're met with the next. And so what we have to do is make sure that we are finding ways to adapt um, and not saying accept what's going on and think like, OK, it just is what it is. It's okay for us to be upset and it's okay for us to be angry. It's okay for us, um, you know, to even be sad about what's going on. Uh, But I think that you're right. It's one thing, um, you know, to dwell and ruminate on those things and allow it to consume us and be so caught up and spiral down. But it's another thing to say, okay, I get it. I acknowledge and I empathize for the pain and for the suffering. And I'm going to do my part to do whatever I can to help. Uh, But what I'm also going to do is make sure that I don't get so caught up in what's going on within the madness of the world that it causes me to uh, spiral down into a place to where I'm not doing any benefit to anybody. Because yes. I'm so caught up in it. And I, and, and I know you and I have bantered on this one before in the sense that like for a lot of us, it's you know being informed with whatever we need to be informed with or we feel we need to be informed with, but also shutting off some avenues of information when we need to yes. shut off those avenues of information. Yes. And so uh, because one thing is, is like I feel like if for me, if I would have not seen anything on the news, I would hear about what's going on in the world at some point 
point from someone. And so I can have that level of acknowledgement. And that's kind of actually how I found out initially about what was going on in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, you know, a few months, I guess it was probably what a month and a half, two months ago when everything started kind of, you know, the rumbling started happening. And then of course here when the invasion occurred, you know, I, I found out pretty quickly. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like I have to acknowledge and be empathetic for what people are experiencing. And I'm saddened by what people are experiencing and what our world's going to experience from this. However, one thing I can't do is get so wrapped up in it that that's where my mind is at all times. And I'm not helping anybody. I'm not helping myself. I'm not helping anybody else. Like that's just a really bad place to be. So I think it comes back to what you're saying of acknowledge, but then also to make sure that we're still continuing to tap in and use our physiology and regulate in the ways that we need to regulate so that we can be better people for others so that we can be good spouses. We can be good, you know, moms, dads, uh, friends, you know, neighbors, whatever it may be. So totally. It's yes. Crazy world. And you know, there's another, cause I often think of the person say, for example, they're coming in with depression and I know it can be a very complex um, situation and a very difficult condition where to start with that individual who feels that maybe breathwork isn't for them, you know, mm-hmm. and how do we help to change their physiology? And I think even even two minutes might be helpful. Even 30 yeah. seconds might be helpful. And yes. just to think of that slow and relaxed and prolonged exhalation, yeah. getting them out closed. And I remember, like I was talking to somebody about two weeks ago, he suffers from a lot of anxiety. And he said, mm-hmm. I can't even put my attention on my breathing. If I put my attention on my breathing, it makes me anxious. But mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to put your attention on your breathing to change your breathing. So, right. for example, you could be doing small breath holes, taking that normal breath in and out through your nose and pinching your nose and holding your nose and holding your breath for five seconds and mm-hmm. then having normal breathing for 10 to 15 seconds. And yes. it's taught that the small breath hold will also help to stimulate the vagus nerve. So mm-hmm. here, you don't have to have any attention on your breath whatsoever. You're manually plugging your nose. And you can still get some of the benefits. And I would even say to people, go for a walk with your mouth closed. And if you mm-hmm. want to push it a little bit, walk faster with your mouth closed. Because mm-hmm. when you walk faster with your mouth closed, carbon dioxide is going to increase in the blood anyway. Right. Because it's not able to leave the body so quickly through the nose. Or sorry, through, yeah, it's so you're going to have an accumulation of carbon dioxide in the blood. You know mm-hmm. this when you have that increased air hunger. Yeah. But what's it telling you that <clears throat> when you're doing your physical exercise, the increased carbon dioxide is able to increase blood flow to the brain, increase oxygen delivery, and this can have a calming effect on the central nervous system. And yeah, mm-hmm. it would. It's it's the basic, the basic skill set, the basic tools, just to start somewhere. Exactly, uh, exactly. And I and I like what you mentioned because a lot of people will start these practices, especially those who have significantly high anxiety. I mean, I've seen a lot of it for people who have performance anxiety and when they are practicing breathing and they're thinking about every aspect of their breathing, all their cognition is just focusing on how perfect can I make this breath? Uh, Because a lot of people who are naturally like a little bit more anxiety prone typically will deal with what we refer to in the clinical field as neuroticism and neuroticism can actually play significantly against you. So what do you expect happens with these people? They start monitoring their heart rate and their heart rate or their HRV, their heart rate variability heart rate variability starts tanking when they're doing breath work or biofeedback. Their heart rate shoots up and they're like, this isn't working. Like, what are you doing to me, Dr. Wiles? And they'll see it on the screen. And I'm like, I think I know what's going on here. And then when we start to take a much different perspective, and then we also take it in small strides, then when people begin to relinquish themselves of that high level of neuroticism, which is very difficult for people who have high, high levels of anxiety or panic or they're perfectionists and they're high performers. When they relinquish that and they just see how the breath can work for them and can be this great subjective release of tension. And a lot of times I'll say, stop looking at your data. I don't want you to look at your data and I don't want you to be so caught up in the perfectionism of, am I using my diaphragm effectively? Am I having the correct lateral expansion of my ribs, like when you start to relinquish that and you just say, I'm just going to change 
certain little aspects of my breathing. Maybe it's the pace. Maybe it's going nasal only. Maybe it's introducing five second breath holds. When people start to do that, then they become more comfortable with what they're doing and they're trying to accomplish. They feel it subjectively. They're like, yep, that's it. And then a lot of times I'll remove their ability to look at data, but I might still be capturing data and I'll say, hey, so-and-so look at this. And they look at it and they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, it's because you weren't thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. I will be the first to say, when I first started doing biofeedback, I was one of those people. I was one of the people that was all about perfectionism of making my breath the best, raising my HRV, because that's what a good, you know, a solid health and wellness person can do is we can raise our HRV. And it was tanking. It was awful. And I was getting very discouraged. But then in the end, I had a biofeedback clinician who said like, this is data. The information that you're getting from HRV is just data. It's just data. That's all it is. It's numbers. What we truly are looking for is not for you to gamify the system and try to beat your last score by changing your numbers. That's not the point. Like the point here is to send a signal to your nervous system that it's time to pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. Like it is time to just really ease the vagus nerve and pump the brakes. And when I change that perspective and I stop thinking, I'm going to gamify this and have this as like this skill set that I can go and talk about to people at parties. Then I felt better. And then what happened subsequently? Yeah, my numbers changed. (laughs) But I think it's a great point, though, because I can imagine that, you know, people, when they first start even connecting with their breathing, if they're so analytic, they don't even feel the breath per se. But they're thinking, there's my breath in and there's my breath out and there's my breath in and there's my breath out. So... There is a transition period that at first when you start connecting with the body and bringing your attention onto your breath, yes, it's it's hard to put the critical mind aside mm. and not to get frustrated with it. And yep. one aspect would be is even taking your attention from the front of your mind and just feeling and bringing your attention maybe to the back of the head or to mm. the center of the head that you're, you're away from the critical mind. As Dr. Mark Atkins calls it, he calls it the cave. He says you're out of the cave and into the back of the head or the center of the head. Mm-hmm. And gent- with gentle practice, I think the animals can teach us a lot here. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a cat or if you have two dogs, we've got plenty of animals around me here. Yeah, And I've never seen the, uh, the animal feeling guilty. I went up to... to um, our other building next door here. And of course the dog was up there who knows he, she shouldn't be up there and happy as Larry sitting down on a, on a piece of felt nice and toasty and warm. And uh, as soon as I walked in, looks up at me and that's it, not a care in the world. And here <laughs> is ourselves. We're running around like, like flies, you know, trying to make sure we've got 101 different tasks to do. It, it's, it's exactly. amazing. Animals could teach us a lot. I would say it's the inherent trait of the human being that we had some connectivity with our with our body. And I would say to people is be very patient with it and mm. don't worry about your progress because it's not about the measurement. And I think you're right, Jay, for some people, if they get too illusioned, too disillusioned, sorry, or they become discouraged, they'll stop the practice. Don't stop the practice. Because that's the very thing. And even if you just have your attention out of your mind and on your breathing, 20 seconds for 30 seconds for 40 seconds, there's something, there's something definitely in it. Yeah, there's immense benefit no matter what. And I tell people that if you are manipulating kind of these more deleterious ways of breathing, mouth breathing, like really fast paced (laughs) thoracic breathing, or, you know, even breathing from the shoulders or the collarbone, if you just make one or two shifts, even if you're like, oh man, I still am feeling the anxiety. You're still doing immense benefit to your physiology. And the more and more we tell our physiology what to do, the more and more it listens. Like we know this from research. Yep. Yep. Exactly. We know that this happens. So it's just take it slow. Know that like it's a process. It's, it may take some time. It may be that you just pick it up right away. And that's great. Like I love when people can do that, but if you're battling with a clinical type of mental health disorder, significant anxiety, PTSD, it may take a little bit longer because your nervous system is more dysregulated than the quote unquote normal individual. So great thoughts, Patrick. Um, I always uh, appreciate kind of the, the wisdom that you bring to these discussions. Uh, I think that 
that uh, we can transition now if you're good with it and move on to some user-submitted user questions? Absolutely, Jay. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's amazing how the conversation, it, it always, when you're talking about a conversation, like a topic, one nerd to another in terms of the breathing space. But I suppose we go beyond it too because we're, we're practical nerds. We're not just academics. Yes. <laughs> right. No, it's it's for sure. I think it always uh, unravels to a yes. lot of just really, uh, I won't say uh, for some, it may at times seem esoteric, but then when you think about it, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. So <laughs> and then people nerd out with us. I love it. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Well, let's go ahead now and transition over to our listener Q&A. So we have, this is the part of the podcast. If you're just now joining us, if it's the first one you've ever listened to, this is the part of the podcast where you as the listener can submit your questions to us. You can do this on social media. You can do this by emailing us, podcast.hanuhealth.com. And if we read your question on here and we respond to you, if you reach out to us, if you hear your question, hear your name, reach out to us, podcast.hanuhealth.com. Let us know, hey, you asked you uh, asked and answered our question. We will send you a really cool gift package of some stuff from Patrick, from myself uh, here at Hanu. You're going to love it. So let's jump on into that. We have some really cool questions today. The first one's a really Great. fun one. This comes from Kate. And Kate asks, I've been listening when you've said the ideal respiratory rate is five to six breaths per minute. I have an aura ring and it is currently recording my respiratory rate at approximately 17 breaths per minute. The guide on the aura app says that the average is 12 to 20 breaths. Would I take this um, and, and I'm not very HRV minded and it simply reflects the average of my general, general population. Who do I practice breath? So sorry, I think it's supposed to be, how do I practice breath work or should I be working on HRV and heart rate? I actually think we should respond first to the question of the perfect quote unquote respiratory rate of five to six breaths per minute. Like, is that what we're aiming for? And should she be concerned with this idea of breathing at 17 breaths per minute. So I think this is a great question, Patrick. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, first thing that I want to say is, is that Kate uses the word perfect. And I think that that is probably, I'd like to replace that word. Um, I don't think that there is a perfect respiratory rate um, because we know from research, especially the research that comes from Dr. Paul Lair that looks at this idea of resonance training and resonance breathing is we know that it appears to be from a physiological perspective that the ideal breath rate for practicing is between four and a half to six and a half breaths per minute. We call that a resonant rate. Um, and I think that there is a lot to that research. But I think that what gets caught up sometimes in people's misunderstanding of what they hear is that all day, every day, even when they're sleeping, they should be breathing at this like resonant rate or that this five to six breath minute per rate. And that their goal should be that when I wake up and I look at my aura ring score or whatever, you know, wearable they're wearing that's tracking respiration rate, their Hanu, that I should be at, you know, five or six breaths per minute. I will go ahead and address my thoughts on it, Patrick, and then feel free to kind of, you know, provide your, your, your thoughts whenever five to six breaths per minute as a normal respiratory rate would not be a normal respiratory rate. Nobody is going around breathing at five to six breaths per minute all day, every day. And especially not when the autonomic nervous system is working autonomically and working automatically when you're sleeping and you have no conscious control over it. Um, if I saw that somebody was breathing at a rate of five to six breaths per minute when they're sleeping, there's something significantly wrong. And to be honest with you, I don't know if you've <clears> ever <throat> seen it, Patrick. I've never seen that happen. So when we talk about breathing rates and cadence, we're really talking about when we're consciously focusing on breathing and on breath rate. Now, what I have seen is that when people increase their cardiorespiratory fitness, when people do engage in a fair amount of breath work and they're conditioning that response, that respiratory rate will indeed inherently change. But will it go from a you know, 16, 17 breaths per minute down to five or six? No, again, that would be indicative of something very physiologically wrong. It might even be representative. Um, again, I don't even know if you'd see numbers this bad of somebody with apnea, like se severe apnea. But even then, I, I think that that would still be incredibly low. So I have some more thoughts on there, but I don't want to you know, just bombard everybody with my ideas. What, what say you on this one, Patrick? 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's a very common question, actually. It's it's quite amazing mm-hmm. the number of people who pick up on between four and five, four point five and six point five breaths per minute, and they feel then that they have to be breathing that way all the time. Now, the first point I'd make is that the respiratory rate is just one factor because it's the same as eating food. You know, somebody puts a big plate of food in front of you, they hand you used in this example a spoon. The number of spoonfuls is the respiratory rate, and the size of the spoon is the is the tidal volume. But really, we want to be also concerned with the, the volume of food on the plate. When right. it comes to breathing, if we <laughs> overemphasize the respiratory rate and not take into consideration tidal volume, we have to ask, what are we doing to our overall minute ventilation? And there has been cases that individuals were breathing 20 breaths per minute. The therapist slowed down their breathing down to 10 breaths. But in the process, the size of each breath increased disproportionately that the person actually ended up breathing more air than what they were coming in. So coming back to Katie's question, there's a few factors here. Number one is that, yes, of course, as you said, that when we set time aside during the day to focus on our breathing and to slow it down, that we could slow it down to between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute. Now, that will be useful and easier for somebody with a relatively good bolt score. Whereas if you have somebody who's got high anxiety and high stress, they may find that slowing it down so much might be a little bit difficult for them. There is a relationship between the Bolt score and the respiratory rate. The lower the Bolt score, and basically the Bolt score is when you're sitting, take a normal Mm -hmm. breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose with your fingers, time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of the breathing muscles. If somebody has a bolt score of about five seconds, their respiratory rate is typically about 20 plus breaths per minute. Mm-hmm, when the bolt mm-hmm. score is about 20 seconds, you would expect the respiratory rate down to be 15, 16, 14 breaths per minute. When the, respi- right. when the bolt score is increasing to 30 seconds, we would expect the respiratory rate to be, to be coming down to maybe 10 to 12 breaths per minute. And at 40 mm-hmm. seconds, you could have a respiratory rate of about 10 breaths, 9 breaths per minute. But mm-hmm. it, of course, it's not just about the respiratory rate. The other thing I'd say about Katie is 17 breaths per minute, it would be worth practicing breathing exercises just to gently breathe less air. Because as Jay mm-hmm. spoke, when you do breath work, especially when you breathe less air to the purpose of exposing your body to higher carbon dioxide it helps to reduce the chemo sensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide and with a reduced chemo sensitivity to carbon dioxide your respiratory rate will naturally slow down or what you could do is go for your walks with your mouth closed make sure you get your mouth closed at night and also if for example during menopause not menopause the menstrual cycle just to bear in mind that your respiratory rate will change And this can also be an important one because if you find, say, for example, in the early stages of the monthly cycle, that you have a very normal respiratory rate of between, say, 10 and 14 or 10 and 15 breaths per minute, but then Mm -hmm. post-ovulation, if you notice your respiratory rate is increasing quite fast, you know then that the symptoms of PMS can be attributable to the changes of your breathing as a result of changes in hormones. So it might be just another one to to pay attention to. But yeah, I would agree. Um, The respiratory Mm -hmm. rate is going to change, of course, different times during the day. A good, I think a nice respiratory rate is in around 14 breaths, 10 to 14 breaths per minute, 12 to 14 Mm -hmm. breaths per minute. But again, the one thing about the respiratory rate is if I lined up 10 people, and if I asked them all to count their respiratory rate, they would come back with the, the most bizarre numbers. And I would know that it's not reflective of the respiratory rate at all. Because right. the one thing is that whenever we start focusing on our breathing, we often manipulate it. And it, as a result, then it's difficult to get that true figure. But mm-hmm. of course, your technology is going to give you that. 
Yes. Yep. Yep. It will be monitoring you all throughout the day. And if you're conscientious about your breathing all throughout the day, um, then yeah, it's going to be, I would say manipulated is an okay word to use. Uh, but again, if you're conscientious about your breathing all day, which I don't think is going to be many people, um, we might tap no. into it more often. But do you know who you do see? You see is the people with perfectionist tendencies. And, <laughs> exactly. and sometimes it's too much. You know, and I've yes. seen people, people with perfectionist tendencies are more prone to chronic hyperventilation than the rest of the population. Mm. Yep. That's documented. So and yeah. oftentimes not having that passive approach, you know, that, you know, the kind of approach that you want, you, you, you want an approach that no matter what happens, you don't care. As Krishnamurti said, mm -hmm. he says, Krishnamurti was a very famous spiritual teacher, really well known internationally. And I think he was giving a, a, a talk in California. And halfway through the talk, he says, do you want to know my secret? And of course, everybody's ears perked up. And he says, I don't care what happens. And I said, yeah, <laughs> that's it. I don't care that's what it. happens. And it doesn't mean that you have to be an absolute, you know, totally oblivious to everything that's going on. But I think it comes back to the thing that we spoke about earlier on. You know, we have to be very cognizant of surrendering our attention and letting something to consume us. And with yep. breath work as well, when you're doing your breathing practice, don't care what happens. Sit into a nice, comfortable yes. chair. You could put one hand on your chest, one hand just above your navel. Tune into your breathing if you feel comfortable with that and just gently soften it. And don't yes. care what happens because the more of the feeling of relaxation you can bring throughout the body, it will naturally reduce the respiratory rate. Relaxation right. naturally helps to reduce the respiratory rate. Well, okay. That's a, a really great question. Um, so to kind of just provide a little bit of an overview and synopsis uh, to our response, to answer your question, uh, should you be breathing five to six breaths you know, per, throughout the day, all day? No, it's not going to happen. That's really kind of more of the rate that a lot of people like to practice at. And that's really more referring to resonant rates um, that we see in Dr. Paul Lair's research, who is an advisor to our company, by the way, just throw in that shameless pl plug there. Uh, he's uh, one of our academic advisors, and it's incredible uh, what he's doing to build in resonance training and resonance assessments into our applications. You can actually get data on breath rates and which breath rate increases HRV the most, which is really cool. Uh, but then also too, one thing that I wanted to quickly point out is that if you're concerned about that 17 breaths per minute, number one is that there's likely no need to be concerned about that. So we know that women typically have a higher respiratory rate than men. And then also to overnight, you're still within what's considered a normal range at 17. However, there can be some pretty good benefits for you working on shifting that in a downward direction. And we can do things like conscientious breath work, like CO2 tolerance type training or uh, light breathing exercises that increases our CO2 tolerance. And then also too, some biofeedback and paced breathing can be really effective in that. The last thing would be just also increasing overall cardiorespiratory fitness. We know that that can help to reduce um, overall res respiration rate. With Hanu, again, not to provide too many plugs here, but this is the Hanu Health Podcast, so I guess I can <laughs> Um, is that we're tracking respiratory rate all throughout the day. So you'll know at any given moment when you look down, you can look at the last 24 hours, you can look at it live. We're tracking res respiration rate with our algorithms. So you'll be able to see it and get a good idea of how much you're breathing or how fast at least you're breathing and not how much, but how fast you're breathing throughout the day. And then also um, see that as you practice, like how does that correlate with breathing rate throughout the day? So Awesome question, yeah, and, Kate. And one, one does affect the other because it, it really is. However we breathe during the day is going to impact our breathing during sleep. And Absolutely. I forgot to mention, Jay, is the temperature of our bedclothes, like the temperature mm, of our body right. in the yes. bed as well is going to have. So maybe if the respiratory rate is too fast, maybe it just might point out that there's excessive heat, sure. you know? Yep, yep. It's, no, it's a really valuable point. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We have time for one more, which is very, I think we can make this one rather quick um, because, and this is very much a pointed Patrick McCune question. So in the oxygen advantage, oh, this comes from Jacob, by the way. So Jacob, thanks for submitting. Uh, Jacob asks, in the oxygen advantage, you stated that you should take short breaths in and out before you hold your breath during the bolt test. Is a short breath meaning your normal breath? 
or do you actually manipulate breathing prior to the hold? So this is kind of a technical question. Um, I think like, you know, in the oxygen advantage, you say, you know, for, for, for a minute or so, or a few minutes, normal breathing. And then just before uh, taking your bolt score, you do a short breath in and a short breath out. So I think what Jacob's asking is that, is that short breath like actually like a shorter breath than normal? Is that just, hey, make sure that you're breathing normally and then after your exhale, hold. So I'm, I'm curious on this one, Patrick. Yes, this is, this is a play in words. Jacob is right. Mm-hmm. We probably, mm-hmm. you know, I think we, I need to fix that description because, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why I did it. Every mm-hmm. time I asked somebody, when I was working with our students always over the years, and if I asked them, take a breath in and out through your nose. They took this big, full, big breath. There was always that idea. Yep. <laughs> and that's yep. not what I wanted. And that's why I put in. And even if I told them, take a normal breath in and out, it was a Still big breath. Still be extended. So yep. it's kind of difficult just to get that one. So for Jacob, <laughs> it is actually a normal breath. Once you understand what a normal breath is. Right. So basically, it's how you breathe normally. And then it's a normal inhalation and a normal exhalation, and then you stop breathing. And then at the Mm -hmm. end, after the breath hold, you should have a normal inhalation again. So yeah, so good question. Um, maybe it's back to, I'll have to go back to the books now and start changing that description. (laughs) Right, man. Yeah. Jacob's like, where's my royalties? Uh, where's my royalties for this change? Uh, I like it. No, that's, it's a really good clarification too. Uh, because when he, when Jacob submitted the question, I was like, Oh, interesting. Let me go back to the book. So I opened up uh, oxygen advantage and I was reading, I was like, Oh, it does say, and, and like on the diagram that you have included in the book, it's like, uh, it says short breath. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if Patrick is saying like, just kind of do not like a sniff, but kind of like a, and then just like hold afterwards, yeah. but that's good. So what you're referring to is a normal breath, but not yes. a normal paced breath that people are like, well, you know, doing like a six second breath. Thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know you you know how it goes. You 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 say somebody, I'd like you to take now a breath in through your nose and a breath out through your nose, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, ends up being like this, you know, six it. second inhalation, like eight eight second yeah. exhalation. You're like, all right, yeah, no, I, I've done that before too, and I think that there has been times like when I've taken my Bolt score that I um I've done that like I've like oh man I probably inhaled and exhaled longer because again like this comes back to neuroticism and gamification and perfectionism and like trying to beat scores and you know it can be a little bit difficult at times too because you know the whole point at looking at bolts is indeed it's a great evaluation and assessment but then when you take it uh, periodically, especially if you're training to try to improve it, there's always that bit of you who's like, oh, let's see what I can do now. Can I give myself yes. some level of competitive advantage this time? So I get yes. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of our instructors who was working with a company and he, he had about 24 staff members and he measured all of their both scores and they were coming in, I think the lowest was about 24 seconds and the highest was 44 seconds. So I was just thinking to myself, I've never had a group of 24 people with such high bolt scores. So That's I would really say what high. happened was he went into the company. The first person held their breath for 24 seconds. Well, the next the next person in the company <laughs> saying, well, I'm not going to be beaten by this guy and I'm going to have it. And I would say exactly. that's what happened just. And I said, I sent him an email back and I said, this, this is the most bizarre collection of bowl scores. If it was a randomly selected group of individuals, normally <laughs> we would expect anything from 10 seconds to about 25 seconds within right. that range from the normal population, not yes. from 24 to 44, unless they're a leash, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, allow within our application for people to view other people's <laughs> bolt scores. because <laughs> like, Oh, I'm, I'm beating my neighbor over here. I beat my, you know, spouse over here. It's, you know, everything turns into a competition. I'm not saying it's a bad competition necessarily to have. We could be, you know, having worse competitions, like how many beers can I chug compared to my neighbor? Uh, so maybe this is a better competition, but if we want to get a good legitimate overview of body oxygen level tests, it's like, Hey, the only person we're going to try to 
fool is ourselves. And it's not going to do us really any good if we try to fool ourselves. So, hey, let's just do the test as is. And whatever the score is, the score is. And it gives us a good baseline. It allows us to improve. So, eh, we're still going to always have people who are going to try to gamify it and compete with each other. And again, though, I think that there's probably worse things that we can compete on. But is it providing us much benefit if we're cheating? Not really. So <laughs> yeah, but great, uh, great question there, Jacob. I think it's a really um, interesting one that hopefully helps people if they're wondering like, oh, am I just taking kind of like little tiny small breaths? And it's like, no, you're taking a normal breath, but your normal breath probably is closer to a small breath than like what you might do if you were pacing your breathing or you were actually manipulating consciously your breathing. So nice work, Jacob. All right, Patrick. So I, we're coming up on that time. So I think a great way to finish us out today Today is to read a review. So it's one of the things that we always do uh, is we read a listener submitted review. You can do this on at the Apple platform. Nowhere else allows you to submit reviews. You can on Spotify now. They allow you to give us a five stars, like, but you can't actually review it. So do it on Spotify, but on Apple, go and give us a five-star review, but then also write something. And if Patrick and I, if we read your review here on air during our monthly QA and you hear it, Email us, podcast.hanuhealth.com. We'll send you out a free gear package of all of our goodies, and uh, and you'll absolutely love it. So, Patrick, what do you say? Should I read this one out for us? Absolutely. Go for it, Jay. All right. Cool. So this one comes from GNC1715. That's GNC1715, who states, each podcast offers incredible insight and practical information I can incorporate into my life. Grateful for the time you put into this. Keep them coming. That's awesome review. Love Absolutely. hearing those. Keep them rolling. Indeed. That's right, man. We will. I promise that we will. Well, Patrick, man, it's been a blast uh, being on uh, the podcast with you again today. Always look forward to these Q&A recordings because I know it's going to be full of great banter and awesome user submitted questions that I just love. Like people are, fa they're fascinated and they love this stuff and they see that it's useful. So, hey, thanks again for being here with us, man. Pleasure. Until the next one, Jay. Awesome. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less.